Let's say China. 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 You go over to China. 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 You take China. 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 I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. 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 Because China. 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 You know. China. I know China very well. China, 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 China. Northwest Wisconsin, where I'm from. It's China to me. China, 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 China. You want to buy from China? That's great. Buy from China. Buy toys from China. China in particular. China, China. I have people that I know in China. China, 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 China. China, 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 China. I've been saying China, 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 China. All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a special treat for you today. Non-gender conforming individuals. Are they, them, we have... uh, Circles. We have uh, our very own Chet O with us today. We're going to talk about... uh, What are we going to talk about? You you wanted me to talk about uh, China, contemporary China. That's right. uh, Socialism. Um, Hi, Chet. Hey, well, uh, thank you. My right, my Jen. second time on the uh, on the pod. You you have a wonderful program here. Oh gosh, thanks. Hmm. I think you're really neat too. Oh, thank you. Can can we have um like the clip of Trump saying China like every once in a while when something is happening? Like so, is this China? And then we just have Trump say China every time. There's dead space. Yeah, that's Trump gonna just says China. Yeah. China. Yeah. It's like. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel texted that video to me the other day. He said, this is how you sound whenever, because I just bring up, bring up China all the time, talk about China all the time. Daniel's again helping me out. We had to do this last time, telling me to hold the mic closer to my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a podcaster, folks. Just, so just like launch the noise directly. Into was it your, the, your mic is farther from your face than mine is from mine. But it's pointed directly at my You have soul. to pretend okay. like you're spitting hot fire. All right. spitting into the mic. All right. That, that's one of the Even advantages better. of being in another city. He, he really can't tell me to do that much. I'm like, nah, you're right. I'm in LA. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> well, I got your ass on, uh, on, uh, on the call today. Um, yeah, yeah Mark and Marcos from, from what I'm hearing, he's coming through really clear. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk some China. Sure. Chet, if someone came up to you and said, what does China mean? How would you answer that what question? Does, wait, wait, wait. First question. <laughs> I would probably. <laughs> My first question is, uh, how do you locate China on a map? Oh. Or where is it located on the map? Where's China? Um, north of India, south of parts of Russia, um, east of Central Asia. Well, I'm an American, so as reference to America. Oh, as a reference to America, mm-hmm. you're just going to have to cross the Pacific Ocean. 
the whole thing. Um, yeah, there's no it's, China it's, in it's the a, middle. It's a massive landmass, which is almost um, exactly the size of the contiguous United States. A um, little bit bigger, but then if we include uh, Alaska, Hawaii, then we we about tie China for uh, um, for land mass. We're talking about mainland China. Um, you factor in like Macau, Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically, yeah, massive land mass there in in, in East Asia, um, uh, comparable in size to the contiguous United States. Okay, Wait, why 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 do you include Taiwan? Um, I said like if. Um, so I mean, well, they, I mean, we can go right into we'll, a, we'll get into, we can go right into our first can <laughs> in of a worms. little bit. Um, so let's let's just let um, Chet because you wrote an article, right? yeah, yeah. So let's just uh, jump into you know your article on i guess um socialism so, yeah China. What, so yeah just, so um is it socialism what's going on all these different people have all these different takes and of course the cpc communist party of china has its own take yeah I suppose you have a take too so um essentially um well all, all uh or, or, or three of us on the mic um uh are members of a uh, a political organization called class unity one of the committees of class unity is our political education committee so we do a lot of events around political education things that people uh might want to know more about uh, especially you know regarding current events how they relate to socialism socialist development what have you so I, I I gave a presentation recently at one of our Zooms called Contemporary Perspectives on China and Socialism, an overview. And essentially, I broke down five hypotheses um, that are presented by um, uh, people and groups that can consider themselves Marxists. Uh, the, the first hypothesis was called Capitalist Socialism. And this is um, the most famous um, adherent to this hypothesis is Slavoj Zizek. Um, <laughs> Daniel's motioning for me to adjust the mic again. It feels like it's so close. Is it going to sound good better, better now? Uh, capitalist socialism is the first hypothesis that I presented on. One of its most famous adherents is Slavoj Zizek. You know, I don't know how um, uh, involved with different socialist culture people are who are listening to this, but you might've heard the name Slavoj Zizek. He's had some stuff on YouTube, on Netflix, sort of a popularizer of um, uh, critical theory, um, what some scholars call post-Marxism, uh, uh, sort of a, a big pop culture figure right now. Anyway, uh, capitalist socialism, uh, he, he says, Zizek says that uh, capitalist names the economic functions of China, while socialism names the political functions. This is all, he breaks this down in an article for Russia Today, um, which is available online. I think if you just Google Zizak, capitalist socialism, Russia today, it should come up right away. Um, basically, China is now in a transitional era. Political propaganda is no longer producing consensus, but is still holding control. Uh, meanwhile, privatization and commercialization have become the mainstream among the people, but still cannot be dominant at the level of state power. Uh, the central question becomes, will commercialization take over at the political level replacing party control with commercial hegemony as in the United States, or will it be exploited by the party as another means of political hegemony? I'm doing this thing where I can sort of hear myself talking. This is, this is very dry probably for most people. Is this how you want me to keep going? Oh, good. So, um, <laughs> stopping here on the first point, sure. um, 
as you interpret it, other than, you know, how Slavoj Zizek interprets mm-hmm. it, um, what components of the Chinese, um, I guess, system, what makes the government still socialist and the economic system capitalist? How are those things separated? Uh, like, like just from my own perspective, yeah. editorializing. Or, or, Honestly, or how does he understand it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Honestly, this is this is sounds like I mean, and Zizek's just funny like this. I mean, this is this seems to be the most inco- incoherent hypothesis of all of them. I I don't know what he means. Like, uh, 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 what what does it mean to be socialist politically but capitalist economically? It, in, unless he he's just taking a very long winded sort of and so on and so on kind of way of just saying that the Communist Party claims to be on a socialist trajectory, mm-hmm. building socialism in China. However, on the ground, what they are actually dealing with is an uh, is a capitalist economic system. That seems to be what he's trying to say, but just in a very long-wing, long-winded sort of Zizek type way. Well, maybe like there are socialist goals, uh-huh. um, and you have a political party with all of the power, and uh-huh. they use economic means. I mean, that sounds... Sure, <laughs> yeah. but it's not clear. It, 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 to be honest, it's it's not very clear to me. Okay. Um. It, it seems like, and this is just sort of my cynical take on Slavoj Zizek. It seems like just a way to get clicks for mm. Russia today, mm. so that they'll they'll call him up again and say like, "Hey, we got a lot of clicks on this weird article that you called capitalist socialism," which is like you know just a very like Zizek type of phrase to just say like you know kind of winking. It's capitalist socialism, um, you know. And then mm-hmm. they get a lot of clicks, and they're like, "Hey, can you write another op-ed for us? This one did great numbers. Damn, so thanks, it's, thanks it's, buddy." It's similar to woke imperialism. I don't know. Well, woke imperialism <laughs> makes sense to me as a topic. To me too. But 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 was Zizek saying it just I don't know. I can imagine of, capitalist socialism making sense. I don't sense. imagine that making sense whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I, I can see it. But so, anyways, well, yeah, well, I mean, we, beyond that, we'll, 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 we'll get, get to that we'll, later. We'll come back. Yeah. How how is that different from, you know, the sort of quote unquote state capitalism oh good question because um oh boy. do you want me to just go ahead and take Please. this one this go for is, it uh, what, number two huh no this is number four um state capitalism one of the primary ex uh proponents of this is clr james uh first of all this designation should not be confused with lenin's use of the term from 1921 as deployed in his essay the tax in kind lenin intended this phrase state capitalism to signify the main elements of the soviet union's present-day economy which is transitional from capitalism to socialism um basically um, sort of synonymous with the uh the nep um however uh clr james using the phrase to critique post-reform and opening up china which i honestly some listeners might not even know what the reform and opening up is just say what that is in a second real uh you want me to do that now summarize right now okay so (laughs) um the Communist Party of China, after a, a, a very uh, violent and brutal civil war, after the collapse of the Japanese occupation at the end of World War II, um, the, the, the Communist Party of China wins victory in a civil war. They solidify that victory in October 1949 and claim control of the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, um, the KMT, uh, which the was Kuomintang, the- uh, yeah. Yeah, 
the other side of the Chinese Civil War, uh, led by a, um, a warlord uh, called Ch- Chiang Kai-shek. They retreat to the island of Taiwan and claim it as the Republic of China. Um, and this, this sort of, when, when we mentioned Taiwan earlier, uh, we, we can, you know, we can sort of recircle back to this. Um, and then claimed this as the Republic of China. Both, both Mao Zedong is the leader of the Communist Party, who has claimed control of the mainland, and Chiang Kai-shek, who has claimed control of Taiwan. Uh, both claim to be the legitimate rulers of China. Um, Chiang Kai-shek at this time is simply using Taiwan um, as a base to recuperate. And then with U.S. support, he's planning on going back to the mainland and eventually retaking it to re, to reunite all of China. Meanwhile, Mao Zedong and the, and the CPC with the support, um, um, by, by their telling of the, of the mainland, um, they are eventually going to reclaim Taiwan with also with the goal of reuniting all of China. So Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong do have this in common. They, they want a one strong united China. Uh, in the east, um, anyway. Uh, so, so, so that's in 1949. Uh, Mao Zedong essentially holds the the highest seat of power within the Communist Party until his death in 1976. Um, uh, lead, leading up to his death in 1976, there had been a lot of debates. And I mean, this goes back, this goes back to the fifties. This goes through the sixties about, uh, 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 what is socialism and how do you actually build it? Mao Zedong has a famous quote. Uh, if you, you know, a winning power in a revolution is easy. The hard part is what do you do with the power once you have it? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the people pushing back against a very strict planned economy approach inspired by Stalin in Russia um is a, a man uh what one of one of uh, Mao Zedong's close confidants named Deng Xiaoping um and he says that you have to consider a dialectical relationship between um public ownership uh which which is embodied in a very strong planned economy public ownership of the means of production through the state uh through the state and you you have to consider the dialectical relationship between that and the ability to um, unleash the productive forces of an underdeveloped country, which is which is what China undisputably is at this time. He talks about how in the Communist Manifesto it gives a twofold definition for socialism. Socialism will not only uh, mean that the um, proletariat rests by degree control of the means of production from the bourgeoisie, it also means that the proletariat will unleash the forces of production. And um, these two, to this two-sided definition of socialism and socialist development is does exist in a non-antagonistic contradiction. You have to balance these. What Deng Xiaoping says with a lot of qualifications is that Mao Zedong uh for for all his greatness and all his his um positive contributions he put too much emphasis on the public ownership of the means of production and this led to a stagnating economy and this led to the socialization what Deng and, and his acolytes called the socialization of poverty uh in one of one of Deng's most famous quotes Poverty is not socialism. You have to have uh, what Trotsky called fatty deposits developed in a country if you're going to be able to then distribute that to the rest of the nation. So this is what the reform and opening up is. Deng Xiaoping, after Mao's death, seizes power, seizes control of the state, and begins to implement 
uh, these sort of development policies. And this is what is broadly called the reform and opening up. Okay, so one second. Just, sure. just, just to unpack this thing. <laughs> yeah. the, the Trotsky quote isn't necessarily the most illuminating. So you can only distribute or redistribute stuff if, if things, products have been produced to distribute. And so you have to develop the productive forces mm-hmm. in order to have equitable distribution. And so if capitalist uh, techniques can help develop the productive forces, then you need to use those techniques. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm not, I'm no Trotsky scholar or anything, but I think this is based, that's essentially what he was talking about in regards to Russia. Sure. I just wanted to unpack that because. Oh, unpack that quote itself. Right, right. I mean, what he's saying is we have to develop the productive forces so that we can have more than poverty. Right, right. And different people use different metaphors. I was just trying to bring in another one. I think I like, I like Trotsky's metaphors. Most people, most people try to get rid of their fatty deposits. Like I'm trying to get rid of my fatty deposits at the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an, I don't know. No, I mean, even if you're talking about at the gym, you want to redistribute your fatty deposits Ooh. into your muscle. <laughs> I stand so corrected. That's, nice, that's nice. what they call dirty bulking. You bulk up and then you distribute those gains to muscle. So those are your fatty deposits. Well, this is how much but, I know yeah, about you know, this. This is, this is great. Like we, so. we bring different, um, you know, different but, expertises to the... Yeah, so, so Trotsky, he went to the gym. He knew what he was talking I about. I mean, he, he was a defense minister, wasn't he? Trotsky? Yeah, right, right, right. So, he was swole. Okay, so coming back, I didn't mean to derail. No, I just no, no, wanted that's to, good, that's good. to unpack that. Right, well, my... my to kind can of... I, can I, yeah, yeah, go for I it. Want, um, when we use acronyms, can we define them um, mm, mm-hmm. and not just use them and keep going? Because I don't necessarily know them and I can't count on people listening to also necessarily know them. So it's easy to just kind of throw them in there and then <laughs> keep going. And the people are like, I don't know what that means. Okay. So, Definitely. But um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, sorry. To- sorry, Thaddeus, real quick. What Marco, was there, was there one in particular that... Oh, I we can't didn't. keep, you know, that was, that was 10 minutes ago. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll try and keep that It was that probably in the Kuomintang, the nationalist so, uh, party that was against uh, the, the communists. Sure. Right. So charging ahead. Um, my question is. Wait, 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 wait. Is, is that your second beer, uh, Daniel? No. Because <laughs> uh, I thought you were trying to lose fatty deposits. and uh, I'm just trying to redistribute liquid them. calories. Just trying to redistribute liquid them. calories. It is friend. liquid calories, my right. friend. So, but hold on. This- so, my, 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 what to address for me is I understand trying to use capitalist means to create um, a surplus that you can distribute to uh, the populace so that you don't have poverty. But um, kind of the idea of having that as uh, in a balancing act with, um, you know, uh, uh, workers ownership of the means of production Mm -hmm. seems to be like a false choice. Um, I mean, we'll get into this more, but um, why did that distinction become necessary that you can't have the fatty deposits mm. created through, um, you know, uh, workers, uh, so through Soviets, basically through, mm. uh, workers, uh, um, I guess, uh, like factories, workers ownership, why you couldn't have that. Was that a function of like the the facts on the ground being that it wasn't working or was this just an ideological shift uh similar to the shift from classical economics to neoclassical economics where it was kind of more of a justification for you know uh the 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 wealth creators versus Mm -hmm. the workers Mm -hmm. you know right no i mean no i think yeah no go ahead so 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 when 
I was thinking roughly about that too. Um, in specifically in terms of the the idea that that when you turn it over to the workers that way, it just gets decentralized and and very inefficient because mm. you don't have control of how those resources get allocated, and and that is going to lead to anarchy of production and waste, right? Which is fine when you have a very powerful economy like the U.S. is where you can just waste and still have productivity because you've been capitalist for 200 years. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting almost from scratch from an agrarian society, any amount of waste is just going to kill you, right? So it requires a much more, you know, just powerful centralization where you sit down and you say, well, we produce this much steel every year. We need to give it to these industries so that they can do this. Right, we can't just like allow it to just go wherever it wants to go because it's going to lead to some waste and a loss in, in sort of productivity. But that that's what I was thinking about in terms of that transition. But I don't know if it's accurate or not. That's just what I was thinking. No, so, yeah, uh, yeah, well said. I mean, um, like I mean, Marco, you you said <laughs> you don't know much about China, but uh, what you just said sounds like something that actually could have been said on the the party floor during a debate among communist party members, like in the early '80s after Mao's death, when they're like trying to work out this kind of stuff. Um, no, I think I think you summed up that tension really well. So, so you're saying like. Uh, analogous to the period of primitive accumulation and state violence and planning that capitalism required to get started, uh, non-capitalist developing countries could need state centrally planned uh, capitalist jump-starting activities to to get the ball rolling. I guess. So um, what what? So if we're talking about state capitalism, what would a state capitalist be? Basic question. Mm. Yeah, I, I can I can go back to my yes, so let's uh, yeah, yeah. So this is actually from from CLR James. Um, he says uh, the urban petty the urban petty bourgeoisie comes to power at the head of a peasant revolt, and here specifically he's describing China. But this could technically be you know considered his sort of essential dictionary definition of what he calls state capitalism. The urban petty bourgeoisie comes to power at the head of a peasant revolt and achieves national independence, expropriates the private property of the national bourgeoisie and foreign capital, develops cadres of the petty bourgeoisie to administer the one-party bureaucratic administrative state, that's a key part of state capitalism, carries out thereby the intensified exploitation, we're still dealing with capitalism by his uh, definition, exploitation of the proletariat in production, and solves not one single problem of the agrarian revolution, which, which requires a complete reorganization of the economy on an international socialist basis. He was a Trotskyite? Uh, um, I'm not super familiar with the details on CLR James' biography, but I, yeah, um, I do think he was really influenced by that split and um, and Trotsky's defection, and I think he uh, he came down pretty hard on the side of Trotsky. Yeah. So, so I'm understanding what's going on. The idea is that you have to build up the productive capacity through exploitation of the proletariat. Um, so. In this case, the bureaucracy is exploiting the proletariat to build up the productive capacity of the nation so that you can distribute those resources um, amongst everyone. And the mechanism to do that is through individual capitalist industries that are heavily regulated by 
the party. Except that I think what, what CLR James would claim is that like that, that last part, that's never going to happen. That, I'm, that just, re- I'm just oh. saying what, what yeah. would be the when, definition. When vulgar Marxists use the word, um, I would say like activist Marxism, when it uses the word state capitalism, it's, it, it's sort of to delegitimate the view and consideration like, oh, you say, you say you're socialist, but you're really just state-run capitalists, and this isn't really socialism. And I suspect that that's what's behind his, his account. That's, yeah, that's it's not much- real because the workers haven't all, you know, had their insurrection across the globe and taken over. Yeah. That, that's a much better, just like basic, you know, if you were going to explain this to mm-hmm. somebody on the street, what you mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. That's I mean, basically how it, it gets used. To me though, that, that sounds like someone who's an anarchist who's pretending it's like doing cosplay as a Marxist. Yeah, right? that's, that's right. See, that's, what, that's what most fired. activist uh, like, Marxists are. I mean, like, you know, anarchists love cosplay. That's like their thing. Is it cosplay I mean, or is it We LARPing? all love cosplay. Is it cosplay yes. or LARPing? LARPing's the problem. Cosplay is... I, fine. I fine, like it. Fine. All right, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> okay, so... I'm old. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, so we're going through all these different views. Mm-hmm. So far, we've addressed... So Zizek says China is capitalist socialism. <laughs> and uh, then CLR James says, actually, it's state capitalism. Mm-hmm. We got um, any more boys talking about this or, or, or ladies? You know what I was thinking though? We should have probably done this at the beginning, but maybe, sure. maybe it'd be worth like just doing like a quick, like I was reading a few points uh, before this started, just to give an idea of China's 20th century development, because that might help. Do you mind? Yeah, uh, so sure. What I was reading is basically you've got 19th century um, kings, the sort of dynasties, King dynasty was uh, still a thing. Ching. 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 Pardon me. And um, hey, can can we do this in like some sort of dynamic way though? Because if it's just like it's, it's only going to take four lesson, it's only going to fall asleep and five, five, five sentences, five sentences. But I think it will help, like with the opening up business. Yeah. So yeah. basically, the you know the 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 monarchy fell apart. It became a republic, um, and then this you know there was some squabbling. Uh, Chiang Kai Shek takes power. He's a nationalist. Um, then there's some conflict with the Communist Party founded in the 20s, I think. Is that right? Mm-hmm. In 1921, mm-hmm. 100 years, your boy going strong. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to official propaganda about that earlier mm-hmm. um, on NPR, not the Chinese news. Um, That's your problem right there. I was. It's propaganda. So. Right, right. And MP, NPR is the unbiased. Uh, yeah, yeah. So then they won. They won this fight with the nationalists in 1949. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was you know state planned command economy stuff through Mao's tenure until Deng took over, and then you know like Harvey says, becomes neoliberal, and they start flirting with economic ca- techniques like capitalism, and so that's when people start to say, well, you know, it's not real socialism, stuff like that. It's neoliberalism. It's state capitalism, right? Well, that's- uh, yeah. Well, well, to be clear, like like people, you know, this is what I mean. This is socialists what, or yeah. Marxists or whatever. Well, I mean, like even even within class socialists unity, people, people. I mean, even no. within class unity, we have different views. Like we have, you know, a uh, frequent guest, a friend of the pod, Jamal, who um, uh, takes more of the CLR James line mm. um, and says, like, you know, this was never, this was never a socialist revolution. You know, it's capitalism all the way down. Then you have um, other uh, esteemed class unity members who I don't know if they want to be named on the pod, so I won't. Yeah, don't but do who, it. who say that, like, you know. Um, Mao 
Mao was Mao good. Mao was building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mao good. Uh-huh. Deng bad. Right, right. right. Mao, yeah. Mao good. Deng bad. So it's a Lenin Stalin thing. Sort. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Mao is like Stalin, and uh, Deng yeah. is like Lenin. No, no. Deng would be like Stalin. Oh no. Which is a which is a fascinating analogy. I think because most good. people. I think Mao bad. Deng good. Dung. You Sorry. got sure. Deng fever. I got Dunga <laughs> fever. That's right. But anyway, just just to say, like you know, just like I feel like, um, like you ask a hundred socialists in the U.S. what's their opinion on China. If they're decently well informed, you're going to get a hundred different answers. So I just want to make sure we don't paint everybody sure, sure, sure. with a broad brush. Well, right on. I, I, as a sort of communist, I am absolutely. <laughs> Is this your identity politics coming through? I, I am absolutely exhausted that every time China does something. Someone comes to me and says that I have to justify what they did. It's exhausting, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, they they kicked out the Bitcoin miners from China. It's like, I don't fucking control that. What the hell do I have to do with that? Or, you know, they they build they're building a Hilton on top of like some mosque in somewhere and you know, and I'm like, I, I why first it's like if they do something good, they're not really communist. They're capitalists. If they do something bad, then they're, they're not really. Then they're communists, and it's just like I don't have any control over what they do. I don't agree with everything they do. So why why do I have to justify every goddamn thing like like the, the poor Uyghurs. China does? You know, I don't even. It's crazy, you know. So I, I, that's that's actually why I'm interested in knowing what the hell is going on in China, just so that I can at the very <laughs> least be like, look, I don't have anything to do with that. This is what's going on over there. That's interesting. Anyway. So you're you like you have friends who are like so Marco, you're a socialist, and the 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 Chinese government is socialist. So you explain this. What you know is that basically what they're ah. doing to you all the fucking time? That's it a, drives a, me absolutely <laughs> insane. You know, right? I'm right. like, well, explain Leopold II to me, capitalist. You know, right. like uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Hmm. Uh, that's in, that's interesting. But what about the uh, neoliberal shift? You were saying that that had an effect. Or Daniel, well, so we should go to that, that then, right? That's David Harvey's. You want to go on David Harvey? You were so, saying that that when when the world had the neoliberal shift, it also affected China. How how did that process? Well, there work out? there were like global trends, and they are also arguably well, well, visible. I wasn't, in, I wasn't talking to you. I was I was asking Chet. Well, you, oh, you said you, and well, you were referring to, to me. No, no, to no, be no. to be fair, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, Daniel I like Daniel's much more well read on David Harvey than than I am. I just read his. He has a book called The Brief History of Neoliberalism, and he devote, devotes a brief section of the brief history to China. And essentially what I could get out of this was basically he said that, you know, uh, neo- neoliberalism is this global movement uh, starting in the 1970s, uh, aggressively promoted in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, China gets caught up in this um, and and Deng has to adapt his policies accordingly. And from that, we don't get socialism with Chinese characteristics. What we in fact have is is neoliberalism with Chinese characteristics. That's his that formulation, like? neoliberalism uh, with Chinese characteristics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. He uses yeah, word for word. Do you mm-hmm. have any opinions on what that looks like? Um, what, what occurred during that time that would lead harvey to those conclusions oh well (laughs) yeah um i can actually pull up a whole section on this it's something it's 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 i I, what i'm guessing he relies on uh to make this claim and if you if you look at this time period in isolation who can blame him is what's widely known in china and in the communist party as the wild 90s 
Um, this is uh, this is a time, and this is you know according to CPC historiography, this is like common um, historical narrative in 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 China um, it, on the mainland. Is that the '90s? If China, if mainland China was going to give way to capitalist development, was going to give way to neoliberalism, it would have happened in the '90s. Um, in fact, the the current president of China, Xi Jinping, he he writes uh, he he wrote a very harrowing. Uh, account of this when when he's like a young cadre working for the communist party and he's he's driving to this remote village in like a, in a communist party jeep to to check on uh, poverty alleviation and development of this isolated village and the their jeep breaks down um in 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 this in this mud socialism pit. doesn't work and they're they're stuck well and then this is i think i told you this story the other day and this is this is what happens the uh a bunch of the villagers run out you know and and xi jinping is this wide-eyed young you know communist party idealist and he says oh good you know the the people are coming to unite with the party they're going to get us out of this swamp you know they're going to help us fix our jeep isn't solidarity wonderful you know blah 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 and these people come running at the jeep they start throwing rocks at it they start throwing sticks at it they see that it's a communist party jeep and you know and they they start you know telling like like get out of here you know like f you all this and that's a that's a how do you say that in chinese Hmm. I don't have that vocabulary. Right. Uh, well, nah. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to embarrass. I'm not going to embarrass myself. All right. Um, but uh, 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 this is this is a very this is a very formative moment for a young idealistic Xi Jinping. Um, that's uh, that's 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 happens during the wild '90s. Uh, people people remember um, Mao's uh, uh, tenure as as difficult as a struggle. But it was it was better than pre nineteen forty nine. Socialism was working for China, and um, the uh, the compromises that China made with the global ca- the Chinese government made with the global capitalist elites. Uh, the Chinese people felt like felt like they were uh, getting effed over. Um, in, in those in those wild 90s and uh the, the the narrative today goes that if china was going to give way to what david harvey calls neoliberalism with chinese characteristics it was going to happen then thankfully according to according to cpc narratives uh this this ship was steered back in the correct direction china is back on the path to socialist uh development can i give an example that you actually told me so, yeah. so this isn't just coming from the depths of my heart it's actually from chet um <laughs> but uh it seems like a good example of the transition from sort of maoist the maoist era to or mao the mao era to a sort of neoliberal deng era thing so you had state centrally planned collectivized um uh organization under mao and then when deng takes power you're gonna have to perfect and correct and all yeah all that. sure but, sure but doesn't deng come in and say something like look it's not bad to take care of yourself and to make profits do stuff for yourself for your own family um and you, you have local production families doing things for themselves like um it's not a, it's not a sin to get rich so you know you should if you can grow your own uh food if you can make things and sell them to enrich your family that's that's good do that for yourself and that's hardly margaret thatcher saying like rational self-interested egoists are the way to go but um you can see you can see how a person might um a person might draw a parallel like david harvey might say well look i mean 
these two things are happening at the same time. He's encouraging people to engage in some profit-seeking behavior, and wisely, because some of the collectivized agricultural stuff didn't work so well. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a give you a, a very concrete example, um, and this is this is one of the first experiments in reform and opening up. Because yeah, w- w- one of the things I, I will try and tweak a little bit because I know you were just trying to give broad over you know uh, overviews, and and that that's good. But it, it's it's always important to remember that like there was um, you know. Um, experimenting with capitalist methods um, under Mao's tenure and um, very strong centralized planning was it was a major element of, of Deng's tenure but and, and 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 the the reforms that Deng's administration enacted happened very piecemeal so a, a great example of this one of, one of the very first one of the origins of, of these experiments was um, in in November of 1978 there's a very small village uh, called Xiaogong. Um, it, it was a very small village, had 18 families, and um, they had struggled under centralized uh, planning. So, so what this involved essentially um, was that they, as farmers, uh, produced a certain amount of crops, and they had a set quota that they had to give to the government for redistribution, and they had a set quota that they could keep for themselves, and then their production had to be cut off there. Um, what um, Deng's administration said, what the um, the agreement they struck with this village as sort of an early experimental zone was they said, we're going to tweak this just a little bit. You still have your quota that you have to produce to give to the government for redistribution. However, whatever you produce in excess of that quota, you can keep for yourselves mm-hmm. and do with it whatever you please and like that that and that that whatever you please and that produce whatever you can and then do with it whatever you want that latter part was just and in like you know two years after mao's death that was hugely radical mm-hmm. that was a revolution that's a considerable modification yeah and then and then it just sort of it just sort of grows from there but that's sort of a, a concrete example of what you're dealing with i think what the thing that i was thinking of that you told me about is that it's the household responsibility system like encouraging households to better their situation in life yeah, I mean, well, yeah. What I what I just gave is an early example of experimenting with the household responsibility system. Okay. The point that I would emphasize is there is still this requirement to to redistribute a certain amount of uh, what you produce. Mm-hmm. All right, Marco. Any objections? Was that completely asinine? <laughs> what? What? Do you, I, I'm just listening. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> All right. So okay. So we got Slavoj Zizek, CLR James. <clears throat> This was David Harvey's take. What mm-hmm. are the other now takes? Now we have bureaucratic something, mm. something. So we got one four. I can't remember what number Harvey was. But I know. We've been jumping around the oh, essay. It's good. It's been flowing, I hope. <laughs> so what is, what, is, what is the difference between, um, what, what is it, bureaucratic capitalism and state? What is the difference between bureaucratic capitalism and state capitalism? Yeah, good question. Um, in 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 this usage, I mean, you know, there are different people who apply these different terms, but in this usage, Maurice Meisner he he essentially coins the term um, uh, bureaucratic capitalism um, uh, with with his book on Deng Xiaoping, published in 1996. And the the essential difference is that C. L. R. James, who we mentioned as the one of the foremost proponents of state capitalism, he has no love for Mao Zedong. He doesn't have any love for the 1949 revolution, whereas Meisner is sort of the 
the most uh, reliable scholarly source of a very formidable academic sinologist. Um, he, I think he passed in the early two thousands. Um, but just a, um, uh, a, a, a really profound legacy on, uh, on Western sinology. Um, he, one, one question. Yeah. What is sinology? Oh, sorry. So sino is just like a, um, okay. Like an English, like, like an Anglo sign. appellation that just means like uh, related to China. Just okay. think Chinology. Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, yeah. Sinology, That's, Chinology. This is what Marco was saying earlier. I gotta, you know, yeah. If if there's any terms that are just like what's that, then yeah, please. Um, and uh, Meisner is also a, a, a devoted Marxist. Um, really? He, uh, yeah, uh, 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 very um, is is very uh, firm to point out that um contrary to a lot of cold war atrocity propaganda so-called um uh mao's regime was um a very prosperous time for the chinese people when you compare it to the massive deaths suffering and famines that occurred prior to the ascension of the cpc now that's not to say that there weren't still famines uh there weren't still bureaucratic missteps under mao but you mean you mean you mean during the republic but after the qing dynasty during during the republic you mean uh well yeah during the republic uh and then even even before like in the qing dynasty i mean you can go back all through chinese history i mean (laughs) chinese history is a very uh brutal violent sordid affair Mm -hmm. um and uh, so, so you have to basically in Meisner's telling, which which I, th- I think is is a really is a really good, interesting revisionist framework as he's writing this, you know, coming out of decades of the Cold War in the in the mid nineties, and he's saying, yeah, sure, I guess if you take, for example, the Great Leap Forward in isolation, and you just look at that as an isolated event, that's just um, unqualified, just horror. It's 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 just death and and suffering and 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 just uh, you mean Chinese industrialization? What is the Great Leap yeah, Forward? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah j- j- Mao's Mao's uh, first sort of attempts to industrialize China. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just using a lot of terms that mm-hmm. I'm just taking for granted uh, that people know. He said, "Sure, if you just look at that in isolation, that's just um, you. You you should have. If you're a decent human being, you should have nothing to offer but condemnation. However, if you look at it in the context of of China's uh, history leading up to that point, you see far less suffering. You see far more uh, flourishing. You see, uh, for example, infant mortality rates uh, plummeting. Mm-hmm. You see, um, you see literacy uh, skyrocketing. You see, so, so yeah. Oh, go ahead. You know, one of, one of the things that that morons show up a lot is like, well, Mao killed like three god jillion billion people and he's the worst person ever but then you look at mortality rates and they went something from i mean it's like the 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 expected lifespan was something like 35 years and then it went up to like 65 or 70 years and i'm like well if he killed five gajillion people then there's no fucking way that that the expected you know life expectancy would go up it would would actually go down during that period of time right so So who's who's telling the truth here? Like, are the you know are these are these sort of uh, stat- statistics accurate? I mean, can we believe them? Or or who you know? Or or are the capitalists you know full of shit saying that people died who then actually die? Like, what what the fuck is going on with all the deaths attributed to Mao? Right, right. So. 
you'd because like like one one argument you could take is I, I I'm really I tried to consider like every angle from this and one argument you could easily take is like you know well <laughs> okay infant mortality drops uh, illiteracy rises um, or literacy rises excuse me uh, you know the life expectancy skyrockets um, where are you getting this data that's what I thought from the CPC you know it's like okay like like fair enough you well, where know, are you getting the desk tolls and where are you getting the debt you know you see this is what I call what do I call it oh it's funny because this is a term that comes out of the Cold War it's just like another form it's like statistics mutually assured destruction you know we can just be like oh well 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 that data came from liberal Harvard you know oh well that right. data came from the CPC it's just like so we can go back and forth of this and what I, what I say to people when we end up in this sort of it seems like an endless trench just going round and round what I say to people is um you go you, fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> you you seem to have a very grim view of, well, I mean, of uh, china it, oh go ahead it, 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 if we look at like i mean the, the way that i see it is like okay fine so i can't believe either one of these assholes okay so let's look at the the data for the total population of china prior to the communist regime how many people were living there i don't know how many were there and then i go okay well fine now, how many people are living there now that we have relatively accurate ideas of how many people are living there now? And then I just plot a fucking line. And then I go like, well, if they killed, you know, five tenths, you, you know, five fucking six of their population, there's no way that that linear thing happened unless the average woman there was having 15 kids, you know? Right. It's, so I I, I, yeah. I mean, is, is that a something yeah. that... Yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially you just there there are certain realities that just can't be denied because there are people. Uh one one of the most infamous examples is a guy <laughs> Tucker Carlson has him on regularly as a guest. He, Why do you a, point at me when you say Tucker oh, Carlson? Oh, because this is this is going to be a this is going to be a ding against Tucker Carlson oh, which nice. which I think you will You'll enjoy. You're wearing a goddamn bow tie, right? That's why. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Gordon Gordon Chan. Uh, <laughs> Daniel has been accused. Daniel has been accused of wearing a bow tie. He cannot defend himself because this isn't a video podcast. I'm he just is in say, fact. He is in fact wearing a bow tie. Yes, I'm not. He I is in see, fact wearing, wearing a bow tie. Liar. Liar. He's a dirty, Lion dirty liar. Sex shit. <laughs> Daniel is about. Oh, he's he's currently putting on a second bow tie. This has and never been attempted before. No, he has both a bow tie. Second and a bolo tie on. Button. I got chest hair now he, Yes, uh, Thaddeus is correct. He has now just adorned a bolo tie. Um, he's insisting you're wearing a smoking jacket. Wearing a seersucker <laughs> suit on top of that. Daniel, why does your... I'm sorry, I'm taking this too far. Why, why does your hat have a peacock feather in it? Can you talk about that a little yeah, can bit? You, can you explain this? <laughs> Are you are you? I'm sorry. I know you sorry. wanted you wanted to keep this at a certain at a certain time. Right. Like, okay, re real quick. Gordon Chan in the year 2000, he writes a book. A Chinese American scholar. He writes a book called The Coming Collapse of China. This is in the year 2000. You know, eight years later, they're hosting the Olympics. Uh, eight years later, they're also the second most powerful economic superpower in the world. Eight years later, they also saved the world from financial collapse. Sure. Yeah. And there, there's all kind of. And then okay. So then uh, you know, then they just they just keep growing. They just keep coming more powerful. Powerful. Gordon Chan, in order to keep getting uh, writing jobs and keep getting to appear on Tucker Carlson's show, he just keeps revising his book and every other year. It's just a prophecy that fails. This is what I tell people. I say, don't think of me as somebody who's trying to defend China or trying to attack China. I'm just trying to let you know, if you are a, you know, patriotic, red-blooded, conservative American. Um, all blood and, is red. Yeah. And you... <laughs> 
and you oppose the rise of China and you consider China your Cold War 2.0 enemy, then if you sit down at a chessboard and you want to understand your enemy, don't simply go to this atrocity propaganda and insist that they're just starving people and they're killing people and this, that and the other, because it doesn't explain this superpower um, rise. You have to have an accurate understanding, regardless of if you're some like internationalist, tanky socialist, you consider China your friend, or if you're some like Cold War stalwart, you have to have an accurate understanding. And all of this stuff about massive death and genocide, mm-hmm. it lacks explanatory power. You're not, you're just spinning wheels. Yeah. Well, we just have to separate facts from norms. And, yeah. um, all right. So, um, but, I, but I, I do want to say though that, um, it seems safe to say, like, people died, but people always die in the transition from feudalism to capitalism. China lied, people died. Um, you know, you read about the primitive accumulation, Marx talks about, like, Henry VIII drives the peasants off the land, expropriates them, suddenly they become vagabonds if they don't want to accept wage labor, and you're not allowed to be a vagabond, so what they do, they, they hanged, like, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people. And, you know, you see that stuff all over the world. So whenever you have a transition from feudalism to capitalism or maybe arguably socialism, there are going to be broken eggs. Um, but, but you just have to be honest about that. More, well, going forward with the points, um, I think, Chet, there was um, one more um, point that was kind of... Uh, my qu- first question is, was this your formulation? The, the 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 socialism with Chinese characteristics? No. Um, <laughs> I, I would never take credit for... Uh, so this is a phrase that actually, a lot of people don't know this, but... Um, You'd be a very important man. I would be. I would be, wouldn't I? Um, the, uh, a, lot, a lot of people not don't know... Not to say that you're, that you're not, actually. I find you quite important. You're oh, important th- thank you, to thank me. You. Oh, thank you. That's, that's precious. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 likewise, vice versa. Oh, um, just, social- like the, just like the bow tie. Do you, you, you want me to talk about? Well, re, re, have, we, have we wrapped up Maurice Meisner's yeah, we, bureaucratic we, we, capitalism? We really went on a on a tangent oh, with Maurice Meisner. Sorry. Essentially, I wanted I wanted to set Maurice Meisner apart because he is such a Mao partisan, so um, and, and, Mao. And, a, and a very formidable one at that. Um, but what he says is that Deng Xiaoping represented a or or in, in fact enacted a betrayal of Mao's socialism, and and from from Mao's death on, China has essentially gone. On a on a capitalist path, so and he's kind of like the CLR James business, where he's like, "Oh, they went down the capitalist route. They 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 don't really count anymore." Except that CLR James says that um, from from the beginning, uh, Mao's revolution was a petty bourgeois revolution. Mm, okay. Excuse okay, me. Gotcha. I, keep, I think I keep burping into the mic. Um, it's okay. They can't smell it on the other end. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, oh, but yeah. Uh, do do we want to? How are we doing on time? Do we want to jump we're good, in? We're good. Jump um, into socialism with Chinese characteristics. Sure, that would go off. Yeah. Uh, who is the advocate of this? Oh, uh, the the term uh, first is brought into the public consciousness by Deng Xiaoping and his administration. Uh, but in fact, a lot of people don't realize that Mao Zedong wrote about a similar term. So I think, like most people, if they've heard this term in the U.S., they interpret it very cynically. Basically, the way they hear that is just socialism 
asterisks and then you look at the asterisks and it says not really this is basically how people understand socialism with chinese characteristics um so i I wanted to sort of break down what is the actual perspective of the communist party of china the people who coined this term why do they use it how do they use it etc socialism with chinese characteristics is in fact one branch of what is in Chinese academia and Chinese Marxism studies um, considered a broader uh, school, which is called socialism with national uh, characteristics. And so, national the- socialism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, right, kind of, sorta. Mm, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm no. I'm no Nazi scholar. But uh, from what I can glean, they don't share. These do not share intellectual genealogies. No, I'm just talking about the name. Uh, oh, okay, sure. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just talking about the name. Um, but uh, uh, so so socialism with national characteristics uh, comes from so well sort of sort of it comes from uh, Chinese communists' interactions with uh, Soviet communists um, while the USSR was still sort of at its peak strength. You have a lot. Of writings from Stalin trying to deal with issues like Marxism and the national question, socialism and the national question. You have these issues where, okay, we're socialists, we're Marxists, we are internationalists, no question. However, we're 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 noticing that the international socialist revolution is not popping off like we thought. Mm-hmm. We're having to deal with problems that we did not want to deal with, like socialism in one country. How do you do this? How do you deal with this? So we're um, intellectually honest. Yeah. Well, yeah, trying to confront the con- concrete conditions that are before you, um, and 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 so you you uh, this is this is these are sort of the debates and the struggles out of which the idea of socialism with national characteristics comes from. It's admitting that um, as we're coming out of modernism and we're still in the era of of nationalities and nationalisms and national borders, you have to reckon with that as socialists, and you have to admit that the proletariat in these different bordered areas have different concrete realities to deal with, and they are going to have to build socialism with their particular national characteristics. So socialism with Chinese characteristics is going to have its own unique trajectory, its own unique path, the way the Communist Party of China writes about a potential socialism with American characteristics is that we are we socialists are going to have to take a very different path eventually. This is going to lead to an international, you know, socialist um, uh, uh, coalition, but but so, that's in, that's a long time. In, is in this coming. a question of that you have to build socialism with national characteristics, or that it's kind of an inevitability that there's going to be socialism with national characteristics because there are national borders at this point? So, like, what, what type of proposition is it? Can can you repeat what was the the, the first so, proposition? Like you you were saying that you're going to have to. It's it's a have to proposition versus a this is just a fact of the matter that this is just a result of the condition. So you're going to have to build socialism with American characteristics versus the socialism that's built in America is going to have American characteristics as opposed to international characteristics. Mm. Similar to the capitalism and the welfare state in America is different than the one in Europe. We hear Mm. that argument all the time, but Mm. does it necessarily have to be different or is it just that the fact that we live in America and our politics and our, uh, uh, I guess, um, citizenry is different 
we have different results in our form of capitalism than European forms of capitalism. Sure. There's going to be German capitalism, very different from Anglophone. Capitalism. Right. <laughs> and with socialism, there's going to be a very different form of socialism in China because mm-hmm. of their history and material mm-hmm. conditions than what would come about in America. Or are they saying that you have to have these things in order to protect your borders, that you have to have the nationalism? To protect your borders, ah, uh, definitely, yeah, definitely more of the former, um, because uh, the at least the way you just articulated that latter uh, uh, proposition, that's that would be probably what like the 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 Communist Party members who are in this school of socialism with national characteristics that's what they would call bleeding more into national chauvinism, more more of a jingoism. You always you always want to keep in mind the end goal. Of socialist internationalism. If you lose sight of that, you're going to give way to what Stalin called um, uh, bourgeois nationalism, which is which is very you know very easy to do when you start flirting with this kind of. Uh, what is bourgeois nationalism? Bourgeois nationalism would would be. <clears throat> I think I think a good way is how you described it, where um, whether you're developing socialism or whether you're developing capitalism, so-called either way, you're doing so with the explicit uh, end intention of solidifying your borders, protecting your borders with perpetuating the nation state. I, I what, this when this I, just seems sorry. <laughs> you want to go? Go, ahead, go just super quickly when I hear the word bourgeois nationalism. I think of what propelled the world into World War One. Go on. Well, you know, just competitive national efforts at mm. domination of resources, expansion, and so forth. Yeah, Marco, what, what do you got? Well, I mean, I'm just thinking about the the, the question itself because it could be like in a weird way, like a sociological question, but it's also almost like an ontological, metaphysical question, right? So. Does this does the development of sort of socialism have to be different, you know, uh, based on like where it takes root? Well, sociologically, yes, it's going to be different because you're just going to be dealing with a bunch of different sort of, you know, uh, traditions and, and realities, whatever, right on the ground. Those, but those are contingent, right? So, so I mean, and you guys mentioned you know German capitalism versus like Anglophone capitalism. And, and to some extent, I think that, that in, insofar as their capitalists are the same, it, it, the differences are not like differences in their capitalism. They're just differences in what the society that was there in the first place was, what it was like, right? Well, I mean, there are marked so, differences between Anglophone and German capitalism with respect well, to the role of the state. Having nationalized healthcare is not like a capitalist feature, right? That's just like a weird sort of feature of, of that society, right? What, what the real issue is, is like, well... Who controls capital? How is it controlled? Does that mean that they control the state? You know, like that, that to me is, is and, and in that sense, I find them to be fairly similar, right? Even if they're more constrained in one place or the other, I mean, the capitalist sure. process is always looking for ways to undermine any constraints to it, Ang- independent of where it is. Good. Sorry, go ahead. You You were raising your hand. Okay. Oh, <laughs> he was giving us a five-minute warning. All right, so so um, you want to respond to that? 
uh, well, no, I mean, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, no. just, just, just in general, uh, it, I mean, what, what's interesting, this is something I'd never considered, but, but, um, what you all, cause, cause you all seem to be very astute, like, uh, scholars of, of various forms of capitalist development. And what I had never considered to even look at in the Chinese, uh, literature is whether they've sort of turned this around and sort of looked at, um, what are the different, uh, capitalisms with national characteristics? You know, I'm sure they've talked about this but it is it these, these you know it, it does just uh, bring interesting questions like why did um you know why did these various continental european countries end up with nationalized healthcare systems mm-hmm. the us did not uh canada etc and looking at capitalism with national characteristics i think these are you know yeah it just it just the whole the whole field of study opens up a lot of interesting questions in general all right so i want to i want to just pose two sort of sort of straightforward questions before we stop here and then transition to discussion for the next the next oh, part of this yeah yeah what does what does the communist party of china think socialism is how do they define it what is socialism according to them one and two how do they think they're achieving it yeah let me uh let me pull this up because i can i can actually pull up uh word for word uh deng xiaoping's um Let's see. Uh, the three benefits. Um, uh, whether whether a uh, what am I? What am I not close enough? Am I close enough now? Yes. All right. The three benefits. Uh, whether the economic system is conducive to the development of the productive forces, uh, to the enhancement. That's the first benefit. To the enhancement of the comprehensive national strength of a socialist country. We're back to socialism with national characteristics. And three to the improvement of people's living standards. Mm. Um, that's, that's the three, uh, that's, that's one definition he gives. Um, let me see, actually, uh, find some way to fill time because I'm looking for, Oh, my laptop is holding up my book. Hold on. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll buy you some time. Yeah. Buy me some time. I'm back about this. I've uh, got the textbook. That's I see. This is an intense. It reminds me of like you know sixth grade when I had to. You get the books and you have to cover them with a, yeah. with a grocery bag. You take them home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember in reading some of Tito's writings, he was saying like you can't just take Russia as a model and just apply it plainly. No, I mean, and that seems obvious to anti-communists and anti-Marxists and anti-socialists. They would say, "Duh." I mean, obviously, why would you ever think that just doing what Russia did? Um, would help anyone because it was a disaster. But I mean, for many Marxists, I think that's, that's, I mean, in some of the groups and some of the people I've interacted with, you know, the idea that we don't necessarily have anything positive to learn from Russia, mostly negative things to learn from Russia, that was a kind of shock. And so, you know, Tito says, it's just dogmatism to try to learn a positive lesson from Russia. And you know, you have to look at the conditions here and to see how to develop things for the well-being of the population here, given the circumstances. So, I mean, it's not just Deng. Um, I mean, Tito said this too. Yeah, Many, absolutely. Yeah. You know, people who people who were excluded uh, by Russia. Well, I mean, it seems perfectly it seems perfectly obvious that that would be the case because, um, in reading like the history of the Soviet revolution, um, it comes out of war. So if you want to replicate that type of revolution, you're going to have to replicate the war effort. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like, um, 
No thanks. The Chinese, the history of the Chinese Revolution seems to be a conflict with, um, like, like, I guess, like poverty is more of where the conflict was and fighting against that. So in the United States, where you have um, the poverty in the United States, I mean, there's still poverty, but it's not as... Um, there's third world poverty. In yes, I'm, I'm sure. But to not to the point of that's like 50% of your population that's going through poverty or a vast majority or even a large plurality that's yeah, going through that abject poverty. we're not still a poverty. developing country, but in some respects, we're a de-developing country. Oh, sure. I like, I like that take. But that's, that's fair. But when you're actually trying to implement a political program, you're going to have to implement it on the grounds of what are the conditions that people are going through. And most people are not mm-hmm. who have some type of political power or can even you know, position themselves within any type of revolution in America. They're not going to be coming from people who are going through abject poverty Mm -hmm. that's 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 not where it's going to be generated so it's going to come that that's why it would have to come through more of a uh workers revolution i guess through um unions that type of thing but that's another discussion what was the well the second question oh oh and how do they but just quickly in the chinese case and the yugoslavia case they both did come out of occupations rather so russia was throwing off a czar of right. feudal monarchy mm-hmm. but in china and yugoslavia uh, tito and mao they both came to power and had won popular support for their programs through a fight for national independence ah. from a foreign occupying uh, so, force and so that seems like an important circumstance as well yeah. you see to me that that's part of one of my pet sort of uh ideas that that the the sort of the capitalist class is really just like a foreign nation that is controlling the proletariat. So we're really just a colony in the same way. It's just, you know, that they're better at pretending that there's some of us. Mm-hmm. But the czar, right? but the czar wasn't that capitalist group. That was a feudal thing. Right. Yeah. Well, it, he's still just a, a, a sort of colonizer of those people. Right. Half of the know, time, the, no, half of the time, the the half of the time, those people were like intermarried with people from other countries anyway. No, the czar. Like the, well, okay, okay. The nobility, sure. the yeah. nobility <laughs> was an international class that invaded different countries and basically stole their productivity. They turned the working class into their little colony. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah but, all I want to say, all I want to say, is that what the Russians reacted to was a thing which is different in kind from what the Chinese and the Yugoslavians and maybe Viet Vietnamese reacted to, namely a foreign, in a, a, a foreign occupying force which is different than the sense in which, um, you know, the 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 aristocracy or capitalists are foreign. Like it was the Germans in Yugoslavia, and it was. It was all the European countries in China and uh, and you know, and don't forget your boy Japan and Japan and Japan, but in Russia it was Tsar Nicholas. Yeah, well, and and, and I was just going to add that. So, like the at, at that point, the KMT, uh, Chiang Kai Shek, the Kuomintang, yeah, yeah the, the Kuomintang, and they're uh, yeah, they're they're working together with Mao Zedong. So that is a and 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 the and the Communist Party of China to drive out the um the Japanese occupiers, and then after they do that, that's when we move into the 
the Chinese Civil War. But it, real quick, do you want me to give a, yes, a please, little bit of a more elaborate? Yes. So what because, is socialism yeah, according to yeah. them, and how did they? So um, our, our our socialist system contains a multiplicity of components, but public ownership remains the core economic driver. They're talking about the development of the uh, socialist market economy. Uh, while both state-owned and private enterprises must remain viable, their main purpose must not be profit at all costs, but social benefit and meeting the needs of all people. Uh, we deploy the old socialist principle of from each according to ability and to each according to work um, social uh, so uh, communism is considered from each according to ability and to each according to need uh, limiting exploitation and wealth polarization and seeking common prosperity and the, our guide to action always remains Marxism and the primary value should always be socialist collectivism rather than individualism. I'm just reading directly from the for the Chinese Marxists at this point. So how do you believe that they achieved it? Um, I don't think they would even say that they've like um, achieved it yet. They, how, how do they think they are achieving it? Like, oh, I, I think they, I think they think they're doing great. This, this is the thing that's important to understand. They're, they're more full of themselves than they ever have been, and and that that, that this this might be warranted. It, it might not. I'm not making these kind of claims. Can I? Can I throw out sort Please, of my central? Do okay. It. What do you? This think? is this is what I want. I want people to take away from this because I know I've been rambling a lot, and I think if you're if you're with us still this far, then you must be very interested in china because i feel like i've been china sort of sort of a boring rambler but basically what what i, what I want people to understand in the u.s because our audience is primarily u.s based is I that so. is, is that accurate i think there's a canadian or two there's a canadian there's some germans i saw some latin americans Okay, this is, I mean, this is great because this is all very relevant for, for, for all of the above. The CPC is the second most powerful political organization in the world after the U.S. government. Also second biggest economy in the world. The former will usurp the latter and take that number one spot within most of our lifetimes. The CPC claims to be a Marxist party that is building China into a strong, prosperous, democratic, and socialist country with the consent and massive support of the Chinese proletariat. As it grows more powerful, um, these claims will grow louder and more confident. If each of these claims that I just made are true, it is absolutely necessary for self-proclaimed socialists and Marxists in the U.S. and throughout the West to study and understand the arguments the CPC makes in their own words, um, as briefly outlined in Part 3 and beyond, and to understand their current system of governance and the history leading to this point. That's basically what I really want to encourage people. Like They're, they're not going away. <laughs> they're getting stronger by the day. And whether you think they are Marxist or not, because I know we're going to have a lot of listeners, I could name names. I've had some good arguments uh, with people who, are, who think that like they're just, they're full of it. This is crap. They're, they're exploiters, just like the rest of the global capitalist elite. I've heard people call them fascists. I've heard yes, yes. You did that. <laughs> you were drunk. <laughs> I'll give you a pass. Uh, basically, whatever you think about the CPC, if you think that the propositions I just outlined are possibly true, then we, we have to start studying this more in depth. And if you have some time, learn some Chinese. Is there any, what, what would be the first phrase you would suggest that a person learn in Chinese be? Ah, da zha hao. And what does that mean? Hello, everyone. Well, how do you say goodbye for now? Oh, uh, zai jian. All right, stay tuned. Up next is the discussion. (laughs) 
study China, study uh, study the study China under Communist Party rule. This China, I don't think, is going away anytime soon. No matter whether you think this is part of the socialist brotherhood, or if you think this is you know evil capitalism on par with the U.S. Um, colonialism, genocide, fascism, and what have you. Study it, study it, study it. Learn at least a few hundred Chinese characters if you can spare the time. Um, uh, you, you'll put my link in the show notes, right? Um, I have a if you if you're the kind of person who's on the move a lot, maybe you have a commute on the train or you drive, and you you're the person who prefers audiobooks and podcasts to print uh, literature. I have a uh, Patreon with a podcast feed where I record copious amounts of Chinese Communist uh, Communist Party of China texts, um, and I record them in audiobook form in English. The more patrons I get, this will allow me time to translate Chinese texts that are not yet available in English, and then record those as audiobooks. I do believe, I don't just want money, although money is great, I do believe that this is going to be a valuable educational resource uh, as, as uh, China continues to develop. Thanks. Thanks.